you have to assume you're going to have about 30 seconds of someone's attention. Mm-hmm. So how do you take something like what we just talked about with all the things that we just talked to, all the hypotheticals that we just added in there and put that into a statement? I'm Jamie O'Kane, CPA, small business advanced tax planning and compliance extraordinaire. And this is the Abundant Beans podcast, the podcast that takes my love for learning what makes people tick while digging into the good, bad, and ugly of small business ownership. We strive to give you the insight that only those in the trenches of being and working with entrepreneurs can provide. Welcome to the Abundant Beans podcast. Today, we have Anthony Hayes. Um, Anthony has spent more than 18 years in communications, crisis, and issue management and political and legislative campaigns. He is the founder of the Hayes Initiative, a boutique certified LGBTQI, I think, Emily missed an I. Owned and operated public affairs and strategic communications firm in New York City, but he's coming to us from the Hamptons today. Hi, everybody. <laughs> I, wanted, I would like an invite <laughs> next time. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Everyone's welcome. Everyone's welcome. Um, a seasoned sea level advisor, Anthony has cultivated an energetic, fast growing company now trusted to execute strategy for prominent clients around the globe. He served leaders at the highest levels, including presidential candidates, members of the U.S. cabinet, governors, and other elected officials, C-suite executives, law enforcement officials, and high-ranking health and legal professionals. Um, Emily likes to make these as long as possible, so we're going to skip down to this because <laughs> me reading out loud is always the worst. <laughs> the Haitian Initiative helps leaders and organizations deliver major initiatives, break through the noisy media landscape, and navigate the world of politics and government. They excel with high-pressure with high-pressure, politically sensitive, and confidential issues while demonstrating the utmost level of discretion and judgment. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you today. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm a little. I'm a little nervous that we need to clear our calendars. We we we're quite chatty, which I love. You know what? If that happens, we'll just have you back. That's great. I'm always happy to come back. I got veto. We'll just like put Anthony put Anthony back on the calendar. We'd love to be back. All right, my friend, what was your first job? Ooh. Well, my very first job, I suppose, was really sort of like as a, as a lawn guy for my grandma, right? So mm-hmm. I was probably, I don't know, 10 mm-hmm. and, you know, had to go over and mow the yard and rake the leaves and do all those things. But then like my first like real job, like that didn't involve, you know, nepotism, I suppose, was... Um, at the local bowling alley in Enid, Oklahoma, Shamrock Bowl. Um, and I went there and, you know, my parents really, I mean, my parents worked in a warehouse and worked for minimum wage. And so there was just not really abundance of money growing up. And so it was like, if you want it, you got to pay for it, which I sort of am so grateful for now because they taught me so much, um, around work ethic, but, you know, I, (laughs) I rolled up to the bowling alley at 13 and was picking up, you know, cause back then you could smoke in the <laughs> smoke in the bowling alley. It's mm-hmm. very chic. Um, before we knew that we couldn't do that. And so, you know, I was cleaning up. I mean, I was literally going around and like people would be bowling and order their nachos or their chicken mm-hmm. fingers or whatever. And I would like clean that up and dump, dump things out. And I was just running around and a gopher. And I, mm-hmm. that sort of started really my career. What's the shamrock bowl? <laughs> so. I, love that. I think that's actually the first um, bowling alley I've ever had. You're welcome. 
You're um, welcome. You know, we've had ice, we, we've had ice cream scooping. We've had you know. I really have done every in my <clears throat> in my mind. I've done every odd job, and my friends all make fun of me because, like, I just you know, I'm one. Of, I'm like so many people. I'm just I had to work to pay for things. So like, mm-hmm. it was just no. It was really I've done everything. I feel like I've done everything. I kind of feel like that too. I've done pretty much every type of restaurant. Oh, so yeah. like literally from like bar cart, you know, I used to work totally. at a country club in college. So I literally did everything from bar cart to like fine dining. Yeah. yeah but I used sure. to do childcare and I helped a neighbor and like, I know I've done like restaurant, restaurant, like on the border restaurant, like burrito yep. place. I used to work at this little burrito place. I know how to wrap a mean burrito. Like those are life skills. I actually know? don't know how to wrap a burrito now that you bring this <laughs> up. I cannot put that on my resume. Well done. I got you. You bested me early on. <laughs> we, would, we were at Easter with my family and my aunt has this huge tray of, I can't even remember what it was. I don't even know what was on it, but I just like grabbed it and was like, okay, I got it. She's like, what's happening? What are you doing? I was like, fajita trays. Like this oh, yeah. is one of my skills. Now I that I could do one of those giant, like really like where it's massively you know, oval size of a pool. And you're like, <laughs> okay, everybody I'm out. Yeah. yeah, I can do that. I can. Do, well, I could, maybe I shouldn't say I can. Yeah, that, I'm not <laughs> sure I can anymore. And I think that's like part of the reason I'm like my left side and my right side are very like not in balance oh, yeah. anymore. Cause I used 100%. to carry all those trays. 100%. Yeah, no, I've, I, I agree. I've done every odd job there is 100%. <laughs> um, so give us a cliff notes on your career journey. Ooh, so I uh, grew up in Oklahoma. I moved to New York in 1998 uh, with no plan or college education, uh, which is always a recipe for success. Um, just to sort of like on a whim, move to a city you've never been to. And it's got always a job. New York, though. It was just New York City. So yeah, it's you know, always no, New York City, though. It was just New York City. So I uh, got off the plane. I had absolutely not a dime to my name or a plan to my name. And went and got a a job at a restaurant as a waiter uh, immediately, like the day after I landed. Then I worked at Starbucks. Then I was running around. uh, I've tempt. And then I started doing, uh, I was going to work in retail. And this is in my early 20s. And I was going to work in retail. And a friend said, oh my gosh, you should go to Ralph Lauren. You know, they pay commission. And I was like, okay. So I went to the Ralph Lauren store on Madison Avenue and got a job there and just sort of loved it. And, you know, it's very funny because in New York city, you know, celebs come and shop at the Ralph Lauren store. And so mm-hmm. that was super swanky and fun. And so got to work with a bunch of celebs. Uh, one of them being um, David Schwimmer at the time friends was hot, the mm-hmm. hottest show on TV. Um, and Rachel worked at, at Ralph Lauren. And so David said, I'm going to have, put you in contact with the wardrobe department at Warner brothers. And I was like, that sounds great, David. And then, you know, Warner brothers call this woman, I oh, what was her name. I can't remember her name, but she called and she's like, Hey, David loves working with you and we need clothes for the store. And so I'm just going to give you the credit card and you can just send us stuff and what we keep, we keep, and then we'll send it back to you. And I'm like, okay. So now, so just sort of, you know, in my early career, I just said yes to everything. Mm-hmm. And so, and I just enjoyed it and I was having so much fun. And um, which is my advice often to young people now is like, just say yes to it. And like, be a worker and be happy to be there. And, you know, no job too small kind of idea. And Mm -hmm. 
that turned into really doing lots of fun PR event stuff for the stores. And then I worked for Donna Karen and started volunteering for the human rights campaign, which is uh, the nation's largest LGBTQ mm-hmm. advocacy organization and ended up, I guess that's really when I sort of decided what I wanted to do when I grew up. And that was probably like in my mid twenties um, and went back to school here at the new school, finished and got my political science degree got hired by the human rights campaign to run their electoral campaign in 2008. Um, and that's where I really got kicked off into sort of messaging political campaigns, uh, field work, and just sort of understanding the combination of like truly public affairs where you have the comms and the government relations and the community all tied into one. Um, And then just sort of went from there. After we finished marriage equality in 2008, I managed media and communications for the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, which is a huge agency in New York uh, and New Jersey that reports to both governors, at the time, Governor Christie and Governor Cuomo. Um, I was there for a while uh, and lived through all manner of scandal there. Uh, I don't know if everybody remembers the political scandal of Bridgegate with Governor Chris, Chris, Chris Christie. Um, and then I also got to help open the world trade center after nine 11, which was a very exciting and meaningful project. Uh, and then jumped from that and went to an HIV AIDS nonprofit where I managed their, um, public affairs and policy. Um, also knowing that I was going to head on to, uh, or wanted to head on to secretary Hillary Clinton's campaign, which I did in 2016, um, And then after that ended, I started my firm and was sort of uh, about to join a communications firm here in New York City. Mm -hmm. And a friend said to me, you know, several people were like, this is great. Let us know. We'd love to have you run our communications again. We'll give you a contract. And a friend said, how many contracts do you need before you start a business? And I was like, "How, how many do you need? I don't know. And, and then someone else called and said, Hey, your name keeps coming up. We need somebody to run a nationwide bus tour on helping us not repeal the affordable care act. Uh, Mm -hmm. do you, are you interested? And I was like, Oh yeah, you can hire, you can hire my firm. And they're like, Oh great. Send us your contract. And I was like, contracts, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and then the Hayes initiative. And here we are chatting today. Wow. I just, it's so funny because a lot of us start businesses. We're like, Oh, maybe we can just Maybe I can just do this on my own. Well, I hadn't, I mean, you know, I was super lucky considering when the campaign ended that, you know, I was having these conversations in November, the same, the same month that the campaign ended. So Mm -hmm. I just wasn't in the headspace. I hadn't been in my apartment for a year and a half. I hadn't slept in a year and a half. And I I just wasn't in the headspace to really be thinking about it, but I'd always wanted to, but I just wasn't there. And, and gratefully, you know, this is why friends uh, who love us and support us are so great because I just realized sort of pushed me in that direction. It was the best thing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, friends who pushed me is the reason we're here and doing a podcast. Yeah. 100. Well, great. So, so many reasons we're together today. So many reasons. <laughs> and it all goes uh, back to that very popular show in the 90s. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. It all ties together good old friends. Um, so what I've, I want to kind of just talk about the business aspect and then we'll talk about what you do because um, I think you're probably the first like actual like communications and PR person we've had on. Um, and it's not something I think a lot of us understand. So I'm going to have you explain all that to us. But first, sure. um, so what have been the biggest obstacles to starting your own business and having a small business? 
Um, I think for me personally, <clears throat> as the business owner, I think realizing, you know, and I'm sure there are all these more clever people who've put, put it better than I have, but there's, there's the, you start off and you're just grinding it out. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're just sort of making sure the clients are happy. Mm-hmm. You're figuring out like, oh yeah, we need a report to send to the client. You know, like you just, you're like, yeah, we need that. I'm going to get that now. And then mm-hmm. you do the X thing. And so, but I think for me personally, and, and I'm having conversations with a couple other business owners is, you know, we've been lucky and we keep growing and we keep adding clients and um, adding people. And that means my job has to change. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times, I think it's very hard as a business owner to realize that your job has to change. If you're, if you are, you know, heading in the direction that you want to, which is success, you shouldn't be doing the same job you're doing in year one that you're doing in year five. And then, you know, and it changes, but that's, you know, it's hard because my, I'm sure my team is like, can you, we, we know how to do this. Could you leave us alone? Do you mind? Um, can you back off? Um, <laughs> aren't you supposed to be getting us more business? And I'm like, oh, I, I am. I'll be back. Um, so I think that was the most um, interesting thing because the actual work of what we do, mm-hmm. the tools, tactics, et cetera, like, I, you know, that stuff I know in my sleep, um, but running a business around it in my own business and what kind of business do I want and how do I define success? And it's really, <clears throat> it's, you know, that inside out stuff then mm-hmm. I think that I need to, that work is the most important work I can be doing. So I don't drive everyone crazy. Um, and so that I do help really deliver meaningful stuff for our clients versus, you know, it's easy to swing at everything, um, frankly, but no, it's, I think it's many reasons why you shouldn't. I think, I think that's very true. I think a lot of us start our business thinking, oh, I'm just going to like replace my job, right. Or just going to replace whatever. And that's how we usually start out. But then we get to this point where we're like, but we want more. We don't want to just be technicians, which means we have to give up stuff. Um, And that is hard. It's so hard, especially I think a lot of business owners are pretty type A and we're all pretty controlling and we want stuff done a certain way. Well, we've gotten to a point where the type A has, you know, look, it's brought us success, right? Mm-hmm. So being the, t- being the tactician and being the one who delivers everything, it's led us to here. And mm-hmm. so that's, you know, it's hard to, you know, in, in many areas of your life, both professionally and personally, you know, to give up the tools that have served you well so far, mm-hmm. but in order to keep growing, you know, it's all this like, you know, namaste, namaste, like that's how you have to, you know, inside out. I really am a big believer mm-hmm. in that where you have to keep growing but it has to change. Yeah. Um, I, and I don't know if, if you find this, but like when we start a business, especially under our names, yours is under your name. Mine was for the longest time. We're still in the process of moving it over. People really only like a lot of our clients really kind of push back on having anybody else talk to them. Like they expect me to answer like every single question. Totally. Um, and it's like, we have other people here that can, and you're going to get a faster answer probably too. Right. Yep. yep. Um, and they know your stuff because they've been in it. I can go find the answer, but ask the person who does the thing. Don't, you know, constantly coming to me is not yep. going to get you anywhere really. Well, and that's also like part of what changing my job was too, is that, you know, I had to make it clear to the clients of like, look day to day, 
you know, mm-hmm. you're going to be serviced by this account lead mm-hmm. and they have so many years of experience. They're in the weeds on your stuff every single day. And I, and, you know, part of what you're coming to us for is both the tactical part of it in the day-to-day, but you're also coming for strategy. And so there's a difference in, is this a day-to-day question? You know, so it's a little bit of like training how we work, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, it's not easy because, you know, at the end of the day, if my clients want to talk to me, they're going to talk to me and I'm of course here and we'll figure it out. But yeah. You know, it just sort of is what it is. Yeah, I think I like that because it's like here's like this the nitty gritty or the tactical, and here's the strategy. I'm trying to move yeah. from tactical to strategy. It's it's hard. It's a hard transition. It's a hard place to to end like to get to. Yeah, one hundred percent. But it's also daily. Like it's daily. I'm like, should I be doing this thing or that thing? Well, the urgent rushes out the important every day. Right. And so the question is, as a business owner is, you know, <clears throat> and both are critical, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can't, you have to address the urgent, mm-hmm. but you also, if you're not addressing the important, then you're going to end your year, end your quarter, you know, either not where you wanted to be with, with the kind of, we you know the goals that we set with our clients mm-hmm. is very different, right? It's less about a money thing, but if it's a money driven thing, then you're not going to be meeting the money deals. There's or you are, but you're not working smarter. You're just working harder. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of those analogies that we all hear and read in these various books, but it is true. But if you're not, you know, we work on it very hard as a team actually. Mm-hmm. And we, and it's sort of, um, I don't know if it is, I, at least I like to believe that it is. We've tried to create like this, have it be really part of our, how we metabolize everything mm-hmm. is, you know, these are the goals for the month. You know, how do we sort of control as much of our weeks? Like we really focus on weekly planning versus daily planning. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't mean we succeed, but we, we really do have an effort to sort of be like, okay, the goals for this month for this client are this, mm-hmm. you know, week one, week two, week three, week four, this is how we're going to, this is how we're going to try to apply success. doesn't mean we'll get it, but at least we know that on Tuesday of the second week at 10 o'clock, we're going to be talking to that reporter that we need to connect with for that client. And so at least it sort of maps it out. So you have somewhat of controlled chaos, but it also, you know, leaves space for the urgent things that come up in the day when you have like a weekly plan versus I, I can't do daily plans. It doesn't really work very well for me. Um, But if I do a week by week, or I, if I usually give it a month ahead and then I do a week by week and then it sort of lets the days unfold a little bit easier. Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah we do. Um, it's called gears. So I don't plan out my days. I'm like you. If I block stuff off, block stuff out, I'm a brat and I'll be like, no, I won't even listen to your own, my own blocking. Like I kind of refuse. Totally. totally. Um, so really we we just do have like a, what's today's like goal? What are our events? Like what are the few actions I need to do? And just keeping it really like how, like, how do we get success today? Like, we, I like how you, I like how you said that, like, how do we, how do we do success? And it's literally like, what is the one thing I can check off today that moves us forward or get something done that I don't have to do Absolutely. later or whatever. And that little tool <laughs> has like really helped me like manage my energy and manage my life. Because I know if I back-to-back podcasts like I do today, there isn't much else that's going to happen. Nope. 100%. And that's fine. So, Okay. Cool. I'll just manage my goal for the day. And then I can actually check stuff off and it just feels good. And um, I've got my whole team using it now, <laughs> but you know, it's just a really, it good has to, like, to be, a, it has to be a team thing. I mm-hmm. agree with you 100%. Cause if it's not, then 
you know, if I'm operating on a different sort of like idea or process than the team is, then everybody's going to, uh, it just doesn't work. So I agree. Love it. Um, so what have been some of your, um, the greatest successes of Hayes initiative? Well, we're here. We're surviving. <laughs> we're alive. Um, yeah, I would say, um, I, I think, you know, we've had it, listen, we recently got through, um, PR week had their 2021 awards for the United States. And we got, um, for best in public affairs, got an honorable mention with our work with the times up that That's we've done. Awesome. And so we were like super proud of that. Congratulations. Um, thanks. Yeah. We were, I mean, it's been really, um, I, I would say it's a lot of the meaningful stuff like that. We have like a ton of work, everything that we do, we're super proud of, but there's just certain things that sort of stick out. And obviously I think time's up is one, you know, when COVID hit in 2020, we, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I would say one of my big successes, at least for me is that, you know, I was very able to articulate to the team, like, look, I don't, you know, we have a surplus for a while. I can't, no one can describe or discuss what's happening. So we're going to take it day by day as a team and sort of see where we are. We're going to make mm -hmm. sure our clients are helped. And, you know, I still think that we're poised for growth, um, even though this is happening and I don't want to abandon that plan. And we really didn't. And it proved correct that, you know, naturally in the middle of a global pandemic and a, ma a major world crisis, you know, people with our skill sets, communications and government relations were in high demand and all that work that we had done, you know, building relationships and doing things with uh, prospective clients and current clients, it really paid off. Um, and we were able to not only keep all of our clients throughout the pandemic, but we were able to grow during the pandemic. Um, and that also gave us the ability to do pro bono work very early in the pandemic with uh, small businesses, in particular restaurants in New York mm -hmm. City, which we felt really, I think a lot of us felt pretty passionate about that because I, you know, like everybody, when you rewind it to a year ago, everybody wanted to help. Um, and I think, you know, we're advising to our clients to say, you know, listen, you're not a doctor. So stop thinking that as, you know, uh, just to use the, we have a major league soccer uh, team, New York City Football Club, who we love to death and they're a great client. But, you know, they were, they wanted to, they wanted to help really in an authentic way. I was like, look, you're not a doctor. And so like, you should do what you do well and like reach out to your fans, talk to your fans, make sure they have access to, you know, all of the information that's coming out, you know, and they put together and the club put together some really incredible stuff that helped parents engage their kids while they were home, helped people stay healthy at home. You know, some of the players came out and put together these workout videos for people that you can do at home. So it was really about sort of saying, stay true to who you are mm -hmm. in this current moment versus mm -hmm. trying to, you know, in your want to do something, do something completely different than what you deliver to the people who love you and trust you. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we needed to take some of our own advice because the best way we could help is, you know, to give people who couldn't afford our services, give them those services because they really needed them and helping people, which we were talking a little bit before the show started around um, creating coalitions in particular the restaurant coalitions that got created wow. in New York city so that they could go to elected officials um, helping them just make sure they have access to all of the, you know, PPP um, mm -hmm. you know, portals and different uh, tool sets and all of these things. Like we really tried to put, just put as much, 
good information out into the world as it was changing rapidly. So I think, I think that in particular, I think last year in particular feels really like, it feels like a a huge success story. It's funny now. I haven't really thought about it until we were talking about it this second. And it's, it's really, I think we did some good stuff last year. So. Yeah. I think I I love that. um, You're, you said, you know, helping people within our, within our expertise or, you know, our highest and best or, you know, our superpower, I like to say. Um, and, you know, I, we were talking before about PPP loans and, you know, what we're dealing with on, you know, this end, because every time I turn around, there's something else yeah. going on. <laughs> um, but it really, for us, you know, a lot of the stuff with, with that is just like, we had to help. Like with that, we didn't, there was a lot of people in my industry who opted out and that's yeah. fine. And they get to choose that. Yep. But I wasn't going to do that because this is a minefield for small businesses to deal with. And it just, Crazy. It, I couldn't in good conscience leave, you know, our client hanging. Um, and I was putting, you know, yeah. I have a Facebook group we're putting, I was putting info in there. Yeah. So, because it needed to be good info. Totally. And, you know, and it, <clears throat> early on, the info was changing. And unless oh, you still you, was like, yeah, depending Friday. on what, depending on where you sit in what you offer mm-hmm. as a business, you know, that, you know, that area better than anybody else. So when, when things are changing quickly, you can mm-hmm. decipher it super fast. Yeah. Whereas somebody else can be like, wait, but I thought that they, and so that's how I think everybody helping one another and going back and forth with one another and, mm-hmm. and really trying to trying our best to keep good information flowing in um, extraordinary circumstances, I think was probably the best thing anybody could do at that time. Yeah. And it, it was hard. And it's so funny because I, I said, I never thought I'd be a banker. Like I'd never have to, I've never had to deal with the SBA other than like trying to just decipher, you know, a book of loan, you know, a loan that's, that's the size of a binder, you know, going through there, making sure I understand all the terms and all that. But I've never had to deal with the SBA in this way or deal with this legislation this way. Um, and on top of five sets of legislation in the last year, yeah, five exactly. sets of like tax changes and PPP loan changes and like all this stuff. So it was a lot to keep up with, but we had to, um, 100%. and I keep telling people I had like 90 hours of CBE last year, like, because every time I turn around stuff was changing and I had to figure out how it works and how we can have our clients with it. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I imagine. And I, and I can't tell you how many people in my industry have not done that. Yeah. And I'm scared for their clients. <clears throat> yeah. It's going to be, um, listen, we're going to be digging out of, you know, we talk about this a lot and, you know, people are always asking, you know, what do you think 2021? And I just, my, my, my predictions, and I, I'm certainly not alone in this for 2021 is that it's, we're going to remain in crisis communication. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to require everybody to still be vigilant. And so I think, you know, we are are advising everyone who either a doesn't have a crisis management plan that they should get one um, Mm -hmm. or B, if you have one, then you need to make sure part of what, well, in my, you know, first quarter is gone, but ideally first, second quarter, you're scheduling time with the team so that you can go through what worked in 2020 in our mm-hmm. crisis response or as a team, or how did we communicate? Like where, where were their breakdowns? Um, and, you know, depending on the size and scale of your team and, or your company, you know, that could take a while, but you should really take the lessons of 20. We have to take 
what happened with COVID-19 and all of the other many, many things that went on, sort of mm-hmm. the, the political upheaval, which creates chaos in markets and other things, and all of the social justice work that is long overdue, finally, mm-hmm. you know, having like what I pray is a sustained voice um, and change is, you know, we have to learn from those. You know, how do we learn from the last year Mm-hmm. So that we're not caught off guard or, or as, as off guard again, because I, you know, it's hard to learn the lessons. It's very hard to learn the lessons. I think it is. I think we've made a lot of choices. Like a lot of businesses have made a lot of choices. They've made a lot of, you know, maybe snap decisions or things like that, but like looking at what works and what didn't work and taking that with you. Yep. Um, because if you were resilient enough to make changes in your business, you're going to be better on the back end. Yep. Um, I've been saying this since day one of this thing. Yep. Those that are resilient enough to make changes and implement things that need to be implemented to make this work are going to be better on the back end. But we also need to figure out what didn't work as well. I like that. One hunt you have to, because there's going to be plenty that didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's the communication, whether it's the way you pulled everybody together, whether it was, you know, uh, you know, certain people are having obvious supply and demand issues, you know, then you have a ship stuck in the Suez Canal and we're all like, you know, everybody panics again because we're also like this, the supply chain is just starting to like, I, you know, catch up and then we're stuck in the middle of the canal. So it's just in time. Supply chain is just a disaster. Wild. It's wild time to be alive. The wildest. Yeah. You know, we're used to, I can get anything I want in two days. And then my yes. Peloton takes four months and I'm like, Peloton, what the hell is going on? Yeah. Well, I mean, Peloton. They're like, well, here's all the boats, Jamie. Yeah. Okay. God bless them. Okay. <laughs> Peloton really. And I don't have, I want to be clear. I don't have a contract. Peloton is incredible. I also <laughs> don't, but y'all could call me if you'd like, because yeah. daily now. I am a huge convert and when <laughs> I, I got mine right, right as the pandemic began and man, do I never regret that. So Ooh. great. Incredible. We got the bike plus like the week it went out and then they didn't have any bike pluses <laughs> to forever to get our bike. Plus. Um, but nice. I, I still feel like we waited four months. It was worth it. Yeah. Like I'm so oh glad we didn't cancel. I, I, yeah. And I actually have now tried out the treadmill on a run so. V fancy and V worth it. Like I'm, I'm, I, I don't have space, but like I'm my, in my mind, I'm like, where can I put a treadmill? That thing is massive. I think it is big, but it's not, it's, it is, it has the hallmarks of the bike in that they did design it as well as they could, Mm -hmm. as well as one can design a treadmill Mm -hmm. so that it can fit into a small space or as small as possible. I didn't hate running. Oh, I love running. I just can't really run anymore, but that's, I suppose, not necessarily what your podcast is about. No, whatever. I can talk, I can talk, I can talk for days about not running. So, yeah, I think I actually, I think, I think the podcast is about that because working out is one of the only things that has, that, like, has kept me sane this last yes. year. Yes. Yes. I, I mean, I was long before the pandemic. I've always been some, but that has been like a, that's a non yeah. negotiable. I mean, mm-hmm. even during the campaign, I would run and do stuff. Um, but I mean, that it also means get you know, in those kinds of environments, it means getting up even earlier than, you, you know, I, I was willing to give this sleep up what little mm-hmm. I was getting. Cause if I didn't get that, it was just, I wasn't a good person. Yeah. I mean, I'll have days where it's just 
things are just sideways and I'll just do, you know, 30 minutes with Cody Rigsby and I am, I'm good. Totally. Life's good. I can deal with my family. I can deal with whatever's coming. It's good. Well, I think we're going to have to come out of this. And I mean, you know, we listen, our entire firm from day one has always been remote. So moving rent to remote over the last year wasn't complicated for us. No problem. No problem. We actually helped people. I think that I'm sure you probably did very Mm -hmm. similar where it's like, oh, this is what you can do and you can do this. And, you know, um, here's your portal, get your G suite, get the thing, get the, get the zoom. You're good. You're good to go. Everybody calm down. It's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. Um, but the boundaries, um, boundaries were already very difficult for people, mm-hmm. um, to begin with now that it's going to be very interesting. I mean, you're already seeing sort of the, the trend starting. Was it, oh gosh, I'm blanky. Was it LinkedIn or some, someone give is giving or has a no zoom Friday or a no meeting this. Mm-hmm. So you're just starting to see a trend of like people realizing their people are burnt out. Yeah. Zoom fatigue is a real thing. <clears throat> Yes, of course it is. I mean, in the early days of the pandemic, I couldn't believe it because we would be, I would have these conversations with, you know, some of our C-suites and the, with different clients and they, mm-hmm. they're like, yeah, I've just been on, you know, and it's like, by the way, 8 PM and it's, and they're saying, you know, I've been on these calls since 7 AM and I'm like, why is that? Why would you do that? Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense. And I said, would you ever schedule yourself that way in a non-pandemic year? And they're like, no. I'm like, well, why are you doing it now? I don't understand. It's that corporate culture of like always being available in the office, right? The door is never closed. It's like the door is never closed thing. Oh, it's a horrible, it's horrible. I've I've never been a believer in that. I Mm -hmm. I think it's crazy. Yeah. I used used to be the tax manager in a medium-sized firm. I closed my door all the time because I was like, y'all need to leave me alone so I can actually do something. Yes. Stop walking in here. <laughs> and then they'd to... call me on the phone and I'd be like, don't yep, email me. No. Everything's off. I do get not two disturb. hours. <laughs> yes. Done without you I, in my office. I don't know why people don't fight for that more. I, I've, I've never understood sort of the idea of, oh, well, I'm available all the time. No, you're not. Mm-hmm. No one is. And you no shouldn't be. be. And no boss should expect you to be. Mm-mm. Not no. if you really want good things out of your team. No, I had, we have a brand new team member and I love her dearly. She's amazing. I'm so excited to have her. She's our new practice manager. And she's like, I got to go get my kid. And then I'll be back at like this time. And I'm just like, whatever, I don't care, you know? And yeah. then she, like, she came back, she's like, sorry. And I was just like, live your life. I literally don't care. Absolutely yeah. nothing we do here is life or death. Yeah. Zero of it. If I wanted to be yeah. emergency room doc, I would, I would have been. Yep. 100%. No, no such thing as a tax emergency. You probably, have, you guys probably have actual emergencies. We do. We, we don't. These are no, we created. I mean, yours are too, but <laughs> yeah, well, it's also, I mean, yeah, no, we, uh, yeah, I would say about 50% of our business is crisis management. And so like, but, but you know, that even goes more to say, like, if I can say it mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and we are dealing with real emergencies, then everyone can say it. Like we all can take a breath. Mm-hmm. We all can breathe. It's not that complicated. But all yeah, right. we do. We do a lot of crisis. Go on. All right. So, what is public affairs and strategic communications? Like, what it? Like, what? What does that mean? Um. I did you ever watch the show Scandal? You know what? It was so funny. I was like, is it like Scandal? Which I've actually never watched. I've only heard of it. <laughs> so. 
I, it's not like that, but the reason I always bring it up is because a friend of mine is like, you're like the real, uh, you know, instead of Olivia Pope, he calls me Oliver Pope. <laughs> so I don't think I, I'd like to believe that my life is that dramatic, but it mm-hmm. is not. I want to be very clear to everybody listening. It is not that dramatic, but um, we take, so we can step into people's businesses in a number of ways. And mm-hmm. we, uh, we, we get engaged on various things. So for example, we work on large scale infrastructure projects in New York City. And so part of what we would do around those is we would help them map out their government relations strategy, because a lot of obviously infrastructure projects, you're going to have to have government approvals for various mm-hmm. zoning and different other things. So we map that out for them. But in addition to that, what you're going to also have to complement that with is, is a, a proper community uh, community outreach. So which members in the community are the most influential? How can you meet with community board members, local stakeholders, whether that's universities, whether that's, um, you know, the parks, uh, parks association or, you know, transportation alliance, you know, those kinds of, of uh, associations, chambers of commerce, et cetera. Um, and then we do just sort of straight up media and communications work. So um, we often get called uh, when people are in crisis so there's something bad has happened um, or they know something bad is about to happen. Um, and then we figure out how to manage that. You know, is it a mea culpa? Do we, you know, set up a podium and someone goes out, you know, and gives the tearful, we're sorry, or is it, uh, you know, or do you need to be defiant because someone's attacking you? Mm-hmm. Um, is it really a media campaign or do we sort of threaten a media campaign? You know, there's lots of tactics and tools that we can use to sort of um, reach the ultimate goal, but the client has to decide what the ultimate goal is. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes there's no, um, they don't have a choice. They're just in the middle of the crisis and they have to sort of like manage it. And so we get called a lot about that. So we get, we get brought in and have to sort of digest things very, very, very complicated things very, very quickly. And because we're an outside voice, I think we can really help them understand this isn't going to pass the smell test. Like, I know you think that that mad idea is going to work, but that's not going to, no one's going to believe you just so we're clear. Um, and we give very, very, un- I don't believe you. <laughs> yeah. We give, we give very, um, I'm sure much to my clients chagrin sometimes, uh, very unvarnished feedback. Um, and we're often doing it. It's pretty kind. You know, I think it's just through my career because of, you know, I've worked with and had the, had the privilege of working with very, very, you know, governors, presidential candidates, et cetera. So, you know, I've gotten accustomed to delivering bad news to. <laughs> and bullet points. Yeah. And bullet points and really summing up quickly. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's sort of that. That's a that's a big piece of what we do. Um, and then other times we have more time, right? So someone will, ha- will be launching a new initiative and they want to have a strategic plan for. Okay, so we have twelve months. We're launching this new thing. What we want to do is, you know, we want to start with what's our message, who's our audience, right? So then we sort of do that communication work, and then we pivot into tactically, you know, implementing that for them and sort of getting the press coverage or not getting press coverage or depending on how it sort of gets structured. So mm-hmm. you guys are really kind of quarterbacking, making sure everything's yeah. being communicated with everybody that needs to happen. Yeah, it, it runs across. Like we typically are, um, 
we typically may start with sort of a very specific and narrow scope of work, but a lot of times mm-hmm. it gets it gets widened pretty quickly just because we have um, a skill set of of being a little bit more of a generalist, which um, I think often helps the the C suite that has to sort of move across different areas. And so, just having one group running that is usually helpful. I love it. Um, so when it comes to crisis communication, what top pieces of advice would you give someone who finds themselves in hot water? I guess we could talk about the J and J a place for that. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. So ultimately, you know, the first thing is I think most of all is to get your house in order, right? Mm-hmm. So before you put anybody out or put a statement out, and I think it's, it's a really fine line because I think speed is of the essence. Mm-hmm. I think making sure that people understand and acknowledge um, that they're that they're, they're that they are aware there's a crisis and that they are, they're aware that people are expecting an answer on a certain topic, um, but that doesn't mean that you have to sort of go out immediately and speak to reporters. Um, and in fact, what you would really want to do is get everybody in the room, your crisis team, and really as quickly as possible, understand where you actually are, understand, you know, is, are there other shoes that are going to drop? Um, and then start to figure out how to, how to like clean that up and start to make it clear that you're in control, mm-hmm. that you know, where you're headed. Um, you know, this is how we're dealing with this crisis. You know, it's important that all of our customers understand that, uh, nothing's going to be affected while we do this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is because it's, or it could be legal. And just quite frankly, if it's, if it's a legal problem, you are going to be pretty limited in what you can talk about because you're not going to want to impact any cases. So, yeah. um, but the first thing is, is to get your house in order, but, but, you know, it's a rock and a hard place because you want to take your time to respond, but you can't take too much time because then you look like you've are asleep at the wheel. So it's a really, really hard, you know, eye of the needle kind of, you know, timing. That's so. really interesting. And I didn't really think about that until you just said that, but like, if something goes sideways, there's always like this time where everybody's just like, it's when it's not not if something, it's not if something goes sideways, it's when when something goes sideways, (laughs) which we're always reminding people that it's, you know, everybody likes to listen. I, we've worked with a lot of people who've been out there holding their breath, crossing their fingers, hoping for the best. It is not a strategy. Like part of what we do is we help people have a strategy so that when something goes wrong, Mm -hmm. you know, you've already gamed out as many scenarios of what could go wrong in your perspective field. And you now know how to handle that. But yeah, you have a window of time where everybody's like staring at you going, hello, when are you going to? You're going to say something about this thing. You understand what your CEO just said, right? You got to clean that up. And so, and, and, and cleaning up is no longer just sort of like a, a nice fluffy statement, right? Everybody there's, and rightly so, there's a lot of action that needs to be behind um, when, when missteps have been noticed. Yeah. So I want, I want you to give me an example. So this morning, you and I, it's the morning um, of this recording, and we just found out this morning that J&J or Johnson and Johnson the FDA is pulling or asking them to start pulling the J and J vaccines because of blood clots. Yes. What would be your suggestions to J and J? I don't know if you work with them, but. Well, no, I, number one, I don't work with them. Um, <laughs> number two, I'm not a health professional. So please consult your doctors. Um, and then uh, I think the next thing is, you know, I think a lot of what I'm seeing, and again, 
it was the CDC that made the decision, right? So mm-hmm. there wasn't too much that J&J, my, my read of it, and again, I by the time people listen to this, it's going to be much more clear about what it is. But mm-hmm. um, my read of it is, is the CDC made a very um, conservative decision and probably the, a proper decision to like pause and see where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, J&J is probably sorting out exactly what, um, how they're going to sort of continue their response. But Number one, they don't really have a choice. And I think if I was them, and my guess is they probably have done this, and I haven't read any of the their recent comments, but you know, safety has to be the first thing when you're talking about a vaccine. And so mm-hmm. there can't be uh, we think this is egregious. This, you know, I mean, if J and J is coming out and basically saying, What does the CDC know? That's right. It immediately put everybody like, Oh, I'm not getting the J and J. Um, and so you want to make sure that you're just really leading with, you know, what matters most is that it's safety first. I think if they have numbers on this um, and my, my read of it is uh, my quick read so far today is that it seems, seems fairly rare and isolated. And so if that is the case out of the millions of J and J vaccines that have been given, if it's six people, you know, is it six people or is it more? And because I mm-hmm. think in the stories I was reading, it was I the number six was sort of being thrown around at the time, but mm-hmm. it was a breaking news alert. So I'm sure that will change. Um, but you know, I would I would figure out what data can you release to sort of bring comfort because really what is gonna happen is people are gonna panic. Um, it'll have, I don't know how it doesn't have sort of I'm sure Pfizer and Moderna are probably making sure that they make it clear that their vaccine doesn't have that problem. Mm -hmm. Um, But you want to put out the, it, depending if the numbers are support you, you would want to put out the numbers to demonstrate that this is a small group. The CDC made the right call. We support them. You know, it's safety Mm -hmm. first out of the millions of people who've gotten J and J vaccines. It's only X number of people, you know, so far it's seeming like those people had X comorbidity or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, I'm making all this up. I want to be very clear to everybody. I, I'm, I'm not following. It's all, hypothet- um, it's all hypothetical. All hypothetical, all hypothetical. I want to put all the disclaimers out there. I don't know. I don't know exactly what I'm talking about at this moment, but hypothetically, that's sort of how I would go about it initially. Yeah. Um, and just try and get past the day, but I would put out an immediate statement saying, it has always been about safety and the health of the people who use our products. You know, we support the CD, you know, I don't know. The thing. Yes. I, I mean, it would be, I would be crazy to me um, if they were to put anything out different in the first 48, 72 hours. Um, you know, if they, if it starts to become clear 72 hours a week from now that maybe it was just an overly cautious person at the CDC, maybe you figure that out, but mm-hmm. I, we don't know that today. And my guess is J and J doesn't know that today. So, yeah, I guess going through the last year, like you're like, yeah, well, what is the data? Well, the problem is, and you can probably speak to this better than I can, is that people don't care what the data is. No, we have a large population who wouldn't find the data in a, in a, in a, if it was attached to their forehead Yeah, or care about the data. But you should make sure every reporter knows. Yeah, I think that's important. <laughs> because then because then what happens is the coverage. I agree. Like, listen, people, part of what happens in these crisis situations, and this is a perfect example, that 
J&J's responsibility is to be transparent and to put the information out there and whether or not, then at that point, it is up to consumers on how they mm-hmm. jump into it. But, you know, I for sure would do, um, you know, an off the record phone call with as many reporters as possible to sort of walk them through the data of the J&J findings so far. Um, and, you know, ideally they're coordinating with the CDC. Like, you know, that may be the other thing too, that we all you know, in big complicated things like what we're talking about, I don't know the rules and regulations that Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson and Johnson are under mm-hmm. with the contracts, because some of these contracts may prohibit them from speaking and make it very clear that only the CDC can speak. I just don't know the rules, but you mm-hmm. can guarantee that with really big complicated things like this, um, and especially if you know it was this, if it was a state or a federal government that bought these vaccinations, there's going to be rules on what um, J&J can say. Hmm. Uh, I, I could be wrong. And if I am, someone please point it out. But in, no. even, even in just our contracts that we have at the Hayes Initiative for infrastructure projects and other things, you know, there are certain things that just I can't disclose what we're working on because I'm bound not to, but it's through that government contract that I'm bound not to. Yeah. So. That's interesting. It's, yeah, it's, it's very complicated. And it's, I think a lot of times the really difficult thing for the outside world to sort of take a peek at and understand mm-hmm. is the late, it's nothing is as simple as it seems and nobody really wants to have the nuanced conversation. So a lot of what we're trying to do is work with people who have a very nuanced situation, incredibly nuanced situation and boil it down into and I don't think this is right, by the way, mm-hmm. but it just is what it is in the world that we live in, is we're trying to get it into sort of, you have to assume you're going to have about 30 seconds of someone's attention. Mm-hmm. So how do you take something like what we just talked about with all the things that we just talked to, all the hypotheticals that we just added in there and mm-hmm. put that into a statement? Because mm-hmm. you know that other side is just going to be like, vaccine causes blood clots. Totally. But it's and like, now, oh. And everybody's well, going to go. Yes. And I mean, listen, I love, I love my friends in the media. I love all the producers and editors and everybody that we work with and they have a business and their business model is clicks. And like, I, I respect them all very much, but Mm -hmm. a lot of times when you like see the headline and that's all that anyone is going to read, that's why you fight so often about when you have like a really bad headline and how you really hope that you have good relationships with those editors, because it's often not the reporter who picks the headline, it's the editor. So, you know, you call the reporter and the reporter's like, it's not mine. It's, I didn't do it. It wasn't me. And you're like, I don't what the world? <laughs> but if you read the story, if you actually went into the like really salacious headline and actually read the story, you're like, huh, the story doesn't actually match the headline. Mm-hmm. It's really complicated. I mean, it's, it's not easy. That's why I like the first comment on anything is, did you read the article? No one does, but no one reads the articles. That's been true for years now. The business of like clickbait media, and I love my friends again, but it is a business. They've got to keep eyes on it. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's the part that's like, um, that's the part that's really difficult because there are an enormous amount of well-meaning journalists out there and editors and producers and everybody, but it's an eyes on kind of game. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean that you don't get good news. There is good news that still exists, okay. but just it is it, it's there's a lot that you have to take with 
you know, you can't, you can't just go to one spot anymore and get your news. You just can't. No. And I think we have a population that doesn't, that doesn't ever dig any deeper where we have a large set of the population. Well, I mean, look, in fairness, the world has gotten over the last, you know, what, couple of decades, busier and busier and busier and faster and faster and faster. And so, you know, you're a mom, got your kids, you got to get to, we got to get them to school. Then you got to get to work. Then midday, you've got to run to the doctor's office. Then after you're running back after your doctor's office, then you got to like, you're going to like get out at three, pick people up, go do this, go do that. And then you're going to like, through all of that, you're flipping through your phone. Been scrolling and like call it that Johnson and Johnson causes blood clots and everyone who gets it. And then the other, you know, dad who's picking up the kids that is in line in the car behind you, who's come up to talk to you is like, no kidding. And then when he's at the store talking to his buddy, he's like, yeah, Johnson and Johnson's causing blood clots. I'm the person over here going, actually guys. So the data is, (laughs) But, but I don't blame it. Listen, I think a lot of times, like we blame everyone for not reading, but like, we mm-hmm. also don't take into reality as communicators mm-hmm. and as business owners and leaders, we don't take into account what people are actually living through in their life. And so we try to communicate, we try to boil the ocean with every communication mm-hmm. and we wonder why people don't understand us. Or why so many people are so uninformed. Yes. It's because it's just, there's too much going on. There's too much information and everybody's frustrated. And unfortunately, just everything's very negative right now. So a lot of people are tuning out even more than they used to. Yeah, I think that's true. Just for our own mental. Yeah. Well, aside from that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was that? You know, it's like (laughs) with that dark analogy, I hope all of your listeners know. (laughs) All right, we got to get you out of here. So we're going to do our last question. Um, Let's see. All right. Um, what's the easiest way for people to find you? Uh, the easiest way is LinkedIn. Uh, Anthony Hayes, A-Y-E-S. I need to make sure we're connected. Um, okay. What would be your number one recommendation for small businesses navigating the pandemic communications wise with their clients? Hmm. I think that the pandemic was, I think the biggest piece of advice and thing that I would want everyone to take with them is the pandemic gave everyone, every company, every individual, every leader, it gave all of us an opportunity to speak about our values, about what we do rather than the crisis, rather than like lean into the fear, rather than lean into like, everybody's desperate for very hopeful messaging. Mm -hmm. And so I think that when there's a bump in the road, whether that's like this really huge bump that (laughs) we're still trying to get over with COVID-19 or a crisis, whether it's a small or big crisis or, you know, something that was unanticipated in your business model or your communication strategy, realize that rather than sort of taking it as like a, oh my God, and be a henny penny and the sky is falling, you know, instead realize it gives you an opportunity. It's an opportunity to communicate who you are, what you offer, why what you offer is better than anybody else. um, And why you're so happy about the customers or fans that you have, but it's an opportunity to communicate your values. And I think people need to realize that 
in their communications, like they need to make sure they're doing that when, when these big, big crises happen, whether it's social justice, whether it's an election in 2020 that really had everybody rocked to the core. Um, and I'm not even getting into like who you support politically. I'm just saying it was just, it was a mess politically. And, you know, you had Jamie Dimon, who's the CEO of JP Morgan Chase, you know, two days before the election, putting out an email to his staff that got leaked about what their values were, what, the, what he believes in. And like, regardless of the results of the election, we need to move forward as a country. We need, and it was just very hopeful and made it very clear to his employees that we're moving forward. That's what we do. And so I just think that that's my biggest piece of advice. And the thing that I would think everyone should really take away from COVID is don't miss the opportunity to speak to your values. I love that so much. <laughs> I love that. Great. Well, and that's just it. This whole, the whole pandemic I'm saying there's opportunity here. Yes. Like, yes, be fearful, be scared. We, like that's all like human and normal. And you can also be like, just full up like that. That's all. That's fine. But there's a lot of opportunity to change the way we do business. There's a lot of way, you know, the way, the way you do your business. Like there's a lot of opportunity here to really choose what kind of life you want going forward. Yeah. Um, and, because- and not to be like gross about it. I want to be clear. Like, I don't mean take advantage of the no, crisis. Absolutely. I mean, speak to who you are as you're responding. Because mm-hmm. there, there were plenty of people that tried to take advantage of the crisis and everyone saw it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like when you go back to the early PPP loans of people who got PPP loans that shouldn't have, they got crucified. Mm-hmm. Right. And everybody saw it. Rightfully. So that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is like you remembering why you started what you started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we all kind of like if you were still running a business right now, you've had to have some like come to Jesus moment of like, is this what I want to do with my life? Yes. Like we all have. Um, because I can tell you (laughs) there's a lot of people who aren't going to continue or have not continued for a myriad of reasons. 100%. Um, but I think I I just love that. I mean, there's opportunity in this, you know, I've been saying that since since the day, this is resilience, change your businesses, do what you need to be doing with your business. What's important to you serving who's important to you. Like, you know, yes, I, I agree completely. And like the I, businesses that are not going to survive and probably shouldn't have been running anyway. We've got less, we've got more room now. Yeah. And I don't, it's, you know, we don't need to operate from a place of scarcity, right? Mm-hmm. Because the reality is, is that, you know, I forget, you know, we've read all about this multiple times throughout the pandemic that, you know, some of the most the FedExes and the UPSs of like all these got started in these really horrible environments. So we don't know what has been created in the middle of COVID and what has changed for good and for bad. And some of it will stay and some of it will go away, Mm -hmm. but you know, we can't, well, in my opinion and the way I try to like operate both personally and, and professionally is I don't believe in scarcity. I think there's plenty of business out there for everybody. I think, you know, go out, be a good person, deliver a good product, and you're going to, you're going to work well. Um, But you can't get, you can't get caught up in blaming external factors. There's sometimes there are just external factors that they are, and you have to deal with them and address them. But like at the end of the day, 
you know, as business leaders or owners, we really do have to sort of get outside of like trying to find someone to point the finger to and just sort of say, okay, these are, this is, this is the reality of where I am. And how are we going to understand this as a company and as a group of employees and how can we communicate it so that our clients feel good about it? And how do we move forward? I love it. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. This was awesome. Thank you so much for listening or watching. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, or wherever you prefer to listen. If you learned something and found some useful information to apply to your business today, please consider giving us a thumbs up and a review. Until next week, be abundant. Be abundant.